Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walked in the darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you, as the people rejoice at the harvest. And like warriors dividing the plunder, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David in all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's army will make this happen. Well, good morning, everybody. Did you ever have, everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yes? Yeah? Excellent. Good, good, good. It's so good to be with family, isn't it? That's just kind of like the coolest part. Um, or friends or whoever. Just being together, I think, is just amazing. Um, <clears throat> thank you to the Burkle family again for uh, starting off our Advent season uh, with the reading of our text. It's from Isaiah chapter 9. Um, we're going to ref- reference it. We've already read it, so we'll just be using it in reference. Um, and again, want to just give you one more opportunity to be reminded of the Expected One book. This is what we're using kind of as the basis for our um, Advent series, for our Christmas series. And uh, they're available in the lobby. It's $5. Um, But what's really cool is it's a a daily devotional with some questions that you can do as an individual or as a family or as a group, however you want to do that. Um, and there are also, if your life group decides to do this, there are, ref- there are some tools online to go a little bit deeper for your group if you'd like to do that. So this week, by the way, is December 1st. Isn't that crazy? I can't believe that. So um, it starts this week. So pick one of those up if you would. All right, smooth transition to snakes. Um, <clears throat> the anaconda is the largest snake in the world. And um, these babies get to be like 35 feet in length up to 500 pounds, and uh, I, I don't at all ever want to be close to one, to be really honest with you. But if you work in the U.S. Peace Corps, they have in their manual information on what to do if an anaconda attacks. <clears throat> Let me read for you. If you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. 
This is already bad news. <laughs> Lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides, your legs tight against one another. Tuck your chin in. All right. The snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. Do not panic. <laughs> right. Gets better. <clears throat> the snake will begin to swallow you from the feet end, always from the feet end. Allow the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Favorite phrase again, do not panic. The snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. They should have said do not panic. They didn't. Evidently, you're allowed to panic. All right. When the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg. Then suddenly rip upwards, freeing yourself and rendering the snake helpless. That's good information, isn't it? It's good to know. Now, I doubt if any of us are going to be attacked by an anaconda, but if you don't, make sure you have a sharp knife. Um, <clears throat> but all of us are going to face some situation that seems dark or disturbing in our lives. In fact, if you just kind of look around in our world today, it seems like there's a lot of that happening. So when attack comes, <clears throat> especially a spiritual attack, it's good for us to heed the wisdom, the advice that is given to us by God, and to be patient, and to know how to use our weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Today's message is about hope in a time of desperation. Before we dig into it, let's pray. God, we are aware <clears throat> that your word is real, and we pray that it would be truly living and active in our lives, that it would be sharper than any two-edged sword. Make it fresh and new to our ears and to our hearts. Remind us that Jesus will show up. We pray in his name. Amen. Now, as we look at Isaiah, it's helpful for us to see the things that Isaiah sees. <clears throat> what's happening is the, the two northern tribes that were mentioned have fallen. And the rest of the tribes are very scared that this is coming next, and it, and it will. So they're afraid. And <clears throat> if you look at it, um, there is gloom and oppression and darkness. And the reality is they've, they've kind of created this themselves. They told God, you know, we don't really want to have anything to do with you. And God said, fine, I'll leave you alone. And now they find themselves in a very desperate situation. And into that darkness, into that difficulty, that's when Isaiah speaks. Amazing promises where he says, there's not going to be any more gloom. The darkness is going to turn to light. Death will become the dawn. And the yoke of oppression is going to be taken off. And it's God's zeal, his power, that's going to accomplish this. Now, that should be 
really the desire of any leader, of any king in their context, to provide justice and victory and eventually peace. But Isaiah isn't talking about a human king. He's talking about Messiah. Messiah who is to come. Now, we already know by looking at the Gospels as Christians that this has been taking place in the life of Jesus. When he came, he fulfilled these promises from Isaiah. And we see that when we, when we were looking at uh, the beginning of Luke last year, do you remember when Jesus was taken to the temple by Mary and Joseph to be dedicated and, and the priest Simeon rejoiced and he said, Lord, let me now depart in peace because I've seen your salvation. He's the light of the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So these promises are coming true. We've seen Jesus walk through life. And he has changed things. If you look at at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, this is a, a famous verse that we use when we're talking about the way that our lives should be lived as disciples of Jesus. Jesus called his disciples and he said, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. And then just six verses later, it says, Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, or the Decapolis, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. And what's fascinating is this is the exact area into which Isaiah spoke. Prophecies that Isaiah made Hundreds of years before, prophecies that Simeon made, these are coming true in the life of Jesus. We, we have this advantage. We look back through time and we already see what Jesus has done. And so we, we think, if you could only see what we see, right? When we read the scriptures, we know that the light is coming. It's Jesus. But these people... In the time of Isaiah, they didn't have that knowledge yet. They had that hope, but they didn't see it as we do. So let's try to go back into their world, into their minds. And not only see what they saw, but see how this may apply to our lives in our darkness and in our difficulties today. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we see that he uses four phrases to talk about the coming Messiah. The Messiah is going to be the wonderful counselor. That means he's going to be an exceptional leader. He's going to speak with authority and wisdom and truth. More than that, he's actually going to live out authority and wisdom and truth. But it's really even more than that because he not only lives it out, it it just happens because of who he is. He is authority and wisdom and truth. He is the wonderful counselor. Mighty God. The the Hebrew word for mighty actually has multiple words. What we translate as mighty in most of our translations could be one of many Hebrew words. The word that's used here for mighty is one that talks about The ability to win, to conquer. And if you look in uh, Psalm 
chapter 24, verse 8, it's the same Hebrew word. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, the strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And so the idea is there's a, a war that's going on, and this warrior enters this ferocious battle, and he comes out on the other side, the victor. That's the mighty God who is prophesied. And he will also be the everlasting father. This would have a, a special appeal to their hearts because if you know the history of kings, the kings of Israel, the kings of that land, they typically ruled with a heavy fist, an iron fist, an oppressive reign. And this wasn't only of the, the kings who were outside of Israel. These were the Israeli kings themselves, oppressive people. And so when this mighty warrior comes, what a great thing to know that he is also going to love with the heart of a father. And he's also going to be the Prince of Peace. And that has two meanings. One is that no matter what's going on, he will be in control. And there's comfort in that. And the second part is that through victory, peace and absence of conflict will eventually reign. So, this is a marvelous picture for us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But we still, because of translation, do not quite understand all of it, and, and we can never grasp all of it. But anytime you translate from one language to the other, something gets a little bit lost, and, and you need more information to, to completely understand or to understand more fully what's happening. And so we're going to go back and we're going to substitute phrases that help us see a little bit more in depth what each of these promises means. Some nuances to help us. Kind of a remix, if you will. We have oh, the wonderful counselor, which can mean the wonder planner. Isn't that cool? God has wonderful things planned for Israel. God has wonderful things planned for you. And we saw, again, when Jesus walked on this earth, he did wonderful things, supernatural things. Well, he has wonderful, supernatural things that he wants to do in your life. They might look different than what they did in the Gospels, but they're still wonderful plans. Jesus wants to, to help you, to heal you, to hold you, to break you, to remake you. Wonders that he has planned. Psalm 20 verse 5 says, O Lord my God, you have done many miracles for us. Your plans are too numerous for us to list. If I try to recite all of your wonderful deeds... I would never come to the end of them. The wonder planner. And also the battle winner. Some of your battles are, are tough. Some are overwhelming. 
for you or a family member or, or someone that you love. But there is hope. Because the arrival of Messiah, the arrival of God into our lives, means that victory is coming. Romans chapter 8 is an incredible chapter. Many of you know it well. Toward the end of the chapter in verse 37, hear these words. Despite all these things, in other words, no matter what's going on, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ, who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, and life can't. The angels can't, and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Father is for you. And there's no battle that is too great for God. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen? It's good news. He is the battle winner. And he's the everlasting father, but also the ever-present daddy. It just sort of makes it a little bit more personal. And it's a little hard for us to understand how Jesus, the son, is the ever-present father, the everlasting father, the ever-present daddy. How does that all work? Well, we understand as Christians this doctrine that we don't understand. (laughs) We get that we don't get it, but it's this, that God is one. But God has three persons. It's a mystery. But when Jesus says in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one, that's what he's talking about. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And God is personal. Psalm 139 is a wonderful chapter that talks about how God has woven us, created us in our mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully, And he also says that we can't escape from God's presence. He's our ever-present daddy. Starting in verse 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride on the wings in the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. God is with us everywhere, always. And he's the prince of peace, but not only ruling over the peace, but actually being the one who creates it. He is the contentment creator. He's the bringer of peace. Like Israel, you may be concerned about the situation that's going on in your life, the conflict. Whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual or relational, financial, a combination of all of those things, whatever it is. God can create 
and maintain peace in your life. And again, it's the same idea. Whatever is happening, God can, be, can give you peace. And God is going to win the battle, and peace will rule forever. There will be an absence of conflict. Jesus was very clear about this. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he's saying, this is a huge blessing. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of heart and mind. And the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. And, and, and yet we still wonder, is, is this promise relevant to our lives today? Yeah, it is. So don't give up. Trust, persevere, have hope. You will see the light. Why is our attention drawn right here to this candle? Because everything else is dark. I found it fascinating that yesterday after the Ohio State game, Urban Meyer said that may have been the greatest victory I was ever involved with. Well, why would he say that? I mean, he's won three national championships. Well, as most of you know, it was a, a dark week, if you will, for the Ohio State football program. It was a hard time. There was a lot of tension. There was struggle. There was conflict. There was depression. There was anxiety. There was frustration. See, when it's dark and God shows up, it's greater. It's brighter. There is more appreciation for it. There's more value for it. It's why we give thanks, hopefully not just on this past Thursday, but every day, because Jesus is going to show up. There is light available for us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of, fee, prince of peace, wonder planner, battle winner, ever-present daddy, contentment creator. He's going to show up. Jesus will arrive to bring light to darkness, his resurrection will push back the death that haunts every person. The yoke of oppression of our sin and death will be shattered. And this is all accomplished because of the zeal and the power of God. Jesus is going to show up. As Jordan mentioned, Advent looks not only to his first coming, but to his second coming. And in the last week, we're going to talk about Jesus' arrival, his return. But some days we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I need you to show up right now. And he will. Don't, mis don't misunderstand. This isn't 
some prosperity gospel thing, some name it and claim it, some you give $100 and God will give you 1000 That's not what we're talking about. I mean, he may do that. But what this is about is remembering who God is and remembering who you belong to and remembering the promises that he has for your life. No matter what the circumstances are, God is present with you and God may show up in some really amazing ways. And often we don't see that until it's happened. And then we look back and say, wow, amazing God. James Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China, said, there are three stages in the work of God. Impossible, difficult, and done. When the anaconda is around you, when evil is trying to consume you, when darkness is oppressive, we need to trust the good information that God has revealed to us. We need to be patient and wait. And when the time is right, we need to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You see, God has this advantage. He can see things that we don't see. And just as we look back and see, wow, Isaiah was prophesying about something, and then we see it come true in Jesus, that's what God sees. He's outside of time. He's not limited by that. And he looks at promises that are coming and sees them as if they've already happened. And we need to trust him. And give thanks for the promise of his coming. My foes are many. They rise against me. But I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. My help is on the way. My help is on the way. Oh my God, he will not delay. My refuge and strength always. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always. Always. Never underestimate the power of God in your situation. And never underestimate the way you can connect with God through praise and through worship and through crying out, through lifting your hands, through dancing, through falling on your face, bowing on your knees, trusting in God. David Brazil, the author of the book, Pray Like a Gourmet, which I'm getting, <laughs> said, praise is the portal to the presence of God. When you truly worship God, you connect with God. As James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we want to worship him now with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, to worship him in spirit and in truth. Expect him to arrive and expect his arrival to change everything. If you want to come forward and, and pray about something 
or give your life to the Lord, please feel free to do that. But for all of us, let's praise and worship our God and connect with the one who loves us and gave himself for us. Let's stand and praise.